Welcome to Spot Diagnosis. My name is Dr. Lakshmi Iyengar, and I'm a Research and Education Fellow at the Skin Health Institute, a world-renowned centre of skin excellence located in Melbourne, Australia. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Eastern Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. AI has emerged as a hot topic for discussion in dermatology, but what exactly is artificial intelligence and how can this improve clinical practice? To enlighten and educate us, we have an expert panel in the studio today. My co-host is Associate Professor Aaron Robinson. Aaron is a Fellow of the Australasian College of Dermatologists and current Chair of the Victorian Faculty. Aaron works as a consultant dermatologist at the Skin Health Institute and is also the Director of Medical Education. He has an appointment as Clinical Associate Professor at the University of Melbourne and also public appointments at St. Vincent's Hospital and the Northern Hospital. Thanks, Lakshmi. It's my pleasure to be here and an absolute pleasure to welcome Associate Professor Victoria Ma to Spot Diagnosis today. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's good to be here. Associate Professor Ma is the Director of the Victorian Melanoma Service at the Alfred and an Adjunct Associate Professor at the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine at Monash University. She completed her PhD on clinical and molecular characteristics of aggressive melanoma back in 2014 and is a board member of the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Trials Group. She has co-authored a number of chapters for the Cancer Council Australia Melanoma Guidelines and published extensively in peer-reviewed journals. She's also the clinical lead for the Melanoma Clinical Outcomes Registry and Victorian lead for the Australian Centre of Excellence for Melanoma Imaging and Diagnosis. Tori brings a wealth of experience and perspective on this area from her work in research and clinical practice. Firstly, thank you for being here. I might start with a very basic question. What exactly do we mean by the term AI or artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is really a broad term that outlines a number of different modalities. Machine learning falls under the banner of artificial intelligence, as does computer vision, natural language processing. They're all sort of activities that we ask a computer to do that otherwise would require some level of human input or human intelligence. And certainly with the way computers are moving, this provides a lot of efficiency in in undertaking some of these tasks, would you say? It does. So you can imagine that it takes years and years for us to develop all the knowledge that we need to become dermatologists or to become a doctor in the first place. And that comes from learning from books as well as learning on the job. So learning from our patients and collecting a lot of data over time. And a computer can just do that a lot more quickly. So a computer, if it's trained on the same amount of data that we have, then it should be able to perform the same tasks that we can. Broadly speaking, could you please describe some of the application and research focus of AI in dermatology? Sure. And just as a caveat before I do that, I suppose I am coming from a clinician standpoint. So I'm a clinician, I'm not a computer scientist. I do have an interest in this area, but I think a lot of us do now at this point because it's really becoming very topical. Really in dermatology, there are a number of different applications that we can use artificial intelligence in dermatology. One that I suppose that most people would be familiar with is in image analysis. And we use demoscopy and photographic images in dermatology a lot, actually. It's really a visual specialty. And there is a lot of work that has been done already in using algorithms to either make diagnoses or make predictions from images that they've seen from clinics. We use big data also from large data sets, including genomic data sets, 
and other data sets that use just a lot of information around the patient's past medical history and medication history and so on to build a better picture of that patient and what they may or may not respond to in terms of medications in the future. So predictive algorithms, also prognostic algorithms, which sorts of features within a tumour and so on might help us to be able to predict how well people might do from treatment or whether or not they will develop metastatic disease, for example. There are other applications, um, particularly in the research field, that can help us, I suppose, manage those really manual tasks, being able to extract large amounts of data from different unstructured data sets as well. And so natural language processing is a field of artificial intelligence that will help us extract the data that we need to progress in various different research fields. Great. Thanks, Tori. What are some of the advantages that you see of AI and some of these developments for dermatology? Yes, you can imagine that some of these manual tasks that we often do for a research project, going through, sifting through medical records to extract pertinent details from records, if that could be done more rapidly using algorithms, we'll be able to advance the field in many different areas of dermatology more quickly. I really think that being able to capture data accurately is the first step in any research project and any endeavor to improve outcomes for patients. Yeah, so I suppose in our day-to-day clinical work, there is a bit of an art to dermatology and We often might see a patient and it's quite good working, particularly in a busy practice or a public hospital where you have your colleagues around you and it's nice to ask for a second opinion. With artificial intelligence and computer-assisted diagnostics, we'll be more easily able to ask for a second opinion just with the use of photography and algorithms that might help us with diagnosis. When we are seeing a patient, we're often looking for specific patterns on the skin or specific features that will inform a diagnosis. And computer-assisted diagnosis can really assist, particularly when we're learning, I think, to be able to recognise those features more accurately But also there's this concept called a computer-generated biomarker. There may be things or features within images that the computer can see that we are not ourselves really that aware of that may be able to actually assist us either form a diagnosis or even consider what it might mean in terms of a prognosis for that particular patient, whether they might respond really well to a particular treatment. So we might take, for example, psoriasis and their pattern of psoriasis or even their body shape might help us predict if they might benefit or not from a particular treatment. And so having a whole lot of images of patients with different sorts of psoriasis, different patterns of disease, together with information about treatments that they've had in the past and responses that they've had to treatments might really improve and actually transform the way that we target patients to specific treatments so that we improve their overall outcomes. That's an interesting point because I think we often think about biomarkers as just being serological or even potentially a genetic association, but there's a whole lot of different categories that we may not have even considered because we don't necessarily see them, so to speak, when we're doing our clinical practice. That's right. Yeah. So there may be things that we can determine from a whole lot of information from the images themselves and the clinical appearance, but also putting all of the features together, the pathology the genetics, metadata, pieces of metadata that really only a computer can piece together. This multimodal model is what we call it when a computer takes lots of different information from different sources, be it image-based 
or be it genetic or metadata and puts that all together for us in a way really our human brains can't. So we've talked about the potential advantages of diagnostic accuracy and efficiency and the scope of that. Could you please discuss what you see as some of the disadvantages of AI and dermatology? Yeah, so I think that there is actually still a lot of work to be done before we actually implement AI into our clinical practice. And I think one of the main things that we really need to be aware of is how models are trained and what their use case is, what their limitations are. And I think coming through from medical school, we need to be trained appropriately in this area, actually, so that we can use any devices that might contain AI safely in the future. One of the things that we've really been pushing for is accurate labeling of any devices that come onto the market, be it whether they're directed to doctors for use or whether they're direct to consumer applications. And what I mean by labeling is that a product has very specific information, much like a medicine would have information on its performance, its safety profile, how accurate the model might be in diagnosing and and what its testing and training database was, whether it has any limitations, whether they use synthetic data to create the algorithm. I think these are all really important things that we need to understand so that we can use models accurately. So essentially analogous to how the TGA licenses medications for certain use. That's right. There is regulatory oversight, obviously, of any medical device and AI-assisted devices are the same. And there needs to be real thought put into how that regulation is applied and which devices are approved for use in the market. I think one of the challenges that we have are a lot of these algorithms are being developed internationally And we need to make sure that they are appropriate for the Australian context because just people with skin cancer, for example, our population is very different to that, say, in Europe or even America. So we need to really make sure that they're safe and appropriate for use in Australia in our context. I read about the concept as well of enfeeblement as a disadvantage of AI, which I guess applies to really any new technology being introduced. I'm wondering if you could please comment on that as well. Enfeeblement. So do you mean the uh, effect that it might have on our ability to uh, make our own decisions? Yeah. So I guess uh, it's often used in this context as the idea that as a new technology comes about, it may compromise our ability to become excellent and really skilled at what's considered standard practice. Yeah. And particularly if we don't understand the limitations of that technology. That's right. And we may de-skill actually in things that we were previously very good at, which I think is an issue. And I think we need to be mindful of it. There is a really interesting paper that was published a year or two looking at this issue and how even experts could be fooled by AI that was deliberately made to be faulty. And so I think that it's really important that we're clued onto this and that we use it wisely and as uh, an adjunct to our own clinical decisions. But we really need to be clear that we are still very much responsible for making clinical decisions, much, I suppose, as we are for interpreting a pathology report. So we get a pathology report back and if it doesn't fit with what we're seeing clinically, then we have to query that and always contact our friendly pathologist to discuss the case. And I think the same is with AI. We're using it, we're working with it, and we're not just accepting blindly what it's telling us. 
And I think this is a process that we see with any new technology. I mean, I was saying before, I never learned how to use a slide ruler despite the best of my grandpa's intentions. <laughs> That's right. So I think it's a learning curve always. And I think probably, you know, a few decades ago, it was unusual to use a dermoscope. And I think probably a lot of dermatologists would have shunned the idea of using that routinely in clinic. And I think this is something that we will be using fairly routinely in clinic. I don't think we're there yet. In fact, I think we're a little while off, but I think it's something that will be adopted at some time in the near future. And we just need to make sure that we're prepared for that and that we are really understanding the limitations and how we can use it best for the safety of our patients. Ever wondered what the Skin Health Institute does? At the Skin Health Institute based in Melbourne, we aim to improve skin health for all our patients and the research we conduct shapes clinical treatment and practice. We provide over 30,000 patient treatments each year and also deliver exceptional education programs for dermatologists, Registrars and healthcare workers, we provide specialist training for visiting international medical graduates, workshops to upskill GPs and medical students, and public education programs aimed at improving skin health in the community. The Institute also conducts clinical trials and research projects that are published and presented internationally. We make substantial contributions to the worldwide clinical care and management of skin diseases, skin cancer, and melanoma and are recognized globally for our medical research. We have multiple clinics for GPs to directly refer patients to. GPs can complete our online referral form available on our website at skinhealthinstitute.org.au slash patientreferrals or email referrals to referrals at skinhealthinstitute.org.au. Tori, you mentioned the term machine learning and natural language processing before. I've also heard of the term deep neural networks. Could you please tell us a little bit about what these terms mean? And which of these fields do you see as most relevant to an end user in dermatology? Machine learning is really just falls under the banner of artificial intelligence and it is taking large data sets and being able to process them in a way that really the human brain might be able to with larger amounts of data. Vision, computer vision really is a subset of machine learning and it, it looks at image recognition, image segmentation and so on. And that's what we think of when we think about models that are being trained to diagnose melanoma, for example. And typically these are convolutional neural networks. So they're taking a lot of input data, which is different images of lesions and then passing them through a neural network that has multiple different layers within it and different decision points made to create a final output, which will provide a diagnosis or a category of lesion. These are all really important for dermatology and can be used in, in many different applications uh, that we might be exposed to or use in the clinical context in the future. So are these advantages mainly in the diagnosis and classification of skin cancer such as melanoma or are there other advantages? Artificial intelligence and machine learning are being used in applications far beyond skin cancer and melanoma diagnosis. And in fact, radiology and ophthalmology are actually far more advanced than we are in dermatology, which is interesting. And even pathology actually and using whole slide images for machine learning purposes has been around for a while. It's not a new concept and we are beginning to apply this knowledge to look at other skin diseases as well. I think in the future, the applications 
interventions in dermatology will help us really improve some of the efficiency of the manual tasks that we do in clinic. For example, calculating someone's PASI score or their EASY score and documenting those types of calculations really rapidly for us in the future. And and this will really help I think, make sure that those measures are also a little bit more objective. A lot of the things that we do in dermatology can be quite subjective. So if we are using algorithms such as this, we can hopefully have studies that are much more comparable across between different institutions or different doctors, which I think is a good thing. Does AI do better than humans at recognising melanoma? And do you think this will change? Well, that's a controversial question, Lakshmi. I think at this point, the consistency of the AI is actually getting really promising. And certainly there have been some reader studies where the computer is pitched against dermatologists in assessing images on the screen, where it's done remarkably well, and if not better than dermatologists. I think it's really important though to note that this is so different to the clinical setting. And when we see patients in the skin, we can touch and feel the lesion. We can ask a history. We can ask them if it's been painful or if it's changed, if there are any symptoms. And that's really important skill to have when you're a clinician. Often you're doing your assessment of a patient when you just walk in the, into the room and you start speaking to them. I think that's when the assessment actually starts before you've even asked them to undress. I think it's really important to keep that in mind that we have a lot of different data actually in our minds before we actually do a physical assessment. And that is really important to have the whole context in perspective before we make a diagnosis and commit to a management plan. I think is AI better at recognising images Maybe in the context of a study where we're all asked to look at the same thing and have the same information at hand, but in the real-life clinical context, I think the computers are far behind. I think this also highlights how you alluded previously to the art of the consult or the art of medicine, which really highlights how our role as clinicians is not just to diagnose, but also to be able to communicate to the patients about what the diagnosis is and language that they understand and understand what that language is. We have to be able to reassure them and guide them through as, you know, what may be an emotionally challenging time. Do you see a role for AI in this ultimately? Or, you know, are these just the areas that will take longer for technology to catch up with? Or is this where we always will have a role, do you think, as clinicians? Yeah, look, I think there's always a role for clinicians in providing that human touch. I think when patients are, you know, are getting changed, it's a really good opportunity to ask additional questions and get information about what they're really worried about, which is really important because you can find things that you might not otherwise have done. I think computers, it's interesting, patients have really a lot of trust in computers, which really depends, I suppose, on their previous experience with doctors as well. But I think that's not to be taken lightly because that can potentially affect the interaction within the consult if you're using AI. I think you need to be mindful of how as a result might be interpreted by a patient that's provided by AI. I think that we need to be really mindful about using it in an appropriate way that doesn't impact that human consultation. And so I think we have actually a lot to learn about how best to integrate it into the usual workflow and what's going to work best, not to interrupt the communication, but also the rapport that we have with patients and be able to use that to our advantage to improve that rapport rather than to detract from it, which is also a potential risk, I think. Speaking of integration into workflow, are there other non-diagnostic areas that you've seen or that you see AI might have significant impact in the way we practice medicine? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think there is a real role for AI in triaging workflows. So triaging which patients need to be seen more urgently, either from the doctor's referral or from an image that might have been sent in with that referral. I think that improving the way that we take notes and actually store our data in our medical records so that we can extract meaningful data for quality assurance processes as well, I think is really important. Team audits, unit audits, it will be really useful to be able to, I think, extract the data that's required for those types of quality assurance processes will be a really good way to use this sort of technology in the future. I think one of the things we've seen over the last year or two that AI has really become part of popular consciousness is, you know, this constant stream of very surprising left field applications that have been quite fascinating just from a consumer perspective. I'm wondering if you've seen any in particular that you've been quite surprised about in medicine and in dermatology, and if you could discuss those, please. Yeah, well, look, I think everyone was really taken by surprise by ChatGPT and just how rapidly that took off and the uptake of it, actually. So, so many people have at least tried it. I think probably most of the people in the room here today have at least had a dabble with it. And I think a lot of our patients will have as well. And it is surprising how you can type in your symptoms and perhaps get an answer. And I think it's also led to, uh, you know, the the thought that perhaps, you know, you could use that instead of going to see a doctor, which I think is a little bit out of left field, a little bit concerning for a lot of us. There are also a number of different medical applications that you can download on your smartphone that are direct to consumer as well. And a lot of these are looking at skin lesions and skin cancers for classification. They may appear to just recommend going to see your doctor if there's any concern. But my concern is that people will use that instead of seeing their doctor, which I think is a potential danger. So I think we've got to really understand what is out there, what our patients might be using. And I think instead of Dr. Google, you know, chat GPT and the next version and that the one after that is what we have to be mindful of. Absolutely, there are risks to that. But I guess there are sometimes some benefits too. If someone has a really relatively minor condition like seborrheic dermatitis and they just need a bit of guidance in what to buy over the counter, that may potentially help too. Yeah, that's true. So we need to, I suppose, understand where it might be able to help us and make sure that we can see the patients that we really need to see. So that triage of people who need to see a dermatologist versus those who could really safely be managed in the community. Absolutely. So how accessible is AI likely to be to all clinicians? It's a really good question because there are a lot of different devices that will use AI in the future. So if we just think about skin imaging devices, there are quite a number of these on the market that are marketed to dermatologists and GPs to use in their practice. And they can be many thousands of dollars and so out of reach for the average clinic often. And there are also more compact devices that you might be able to either have on your smartphone or on a smaller tablet that might be more affordable as well. I think the real consideration for each of these options actually is, yes, the cost to to the practice, but also how you're going to store data and store it securely so that there are no risk to privacy breach and so on. But some of the image devices actually take up huge amounts of data for storage. So I think the cost of that is really important to consider. Making note that also imaging is not covered 
by Medicare. So patients will often bear the cost of imaging if that is provided at clinics currently at least. And there is some work to provide evidence to government about the benefits or potential benefits of using imaging in routine care so that perhaps some of that cost might be covered. But at this point, the costs can get quite high and there needs to be consideration about how that will be covered. The concept of algorithmic bias has also been discussed as a potential drawback of AI. Could you please comment on how this may impact the field of dermatology in particular? Bias is a really important thing to consider when we're thinking about using an algorithm. So we want to first understand how the algorithm has been trained and tested and whether it's representative of the population that we want to use it on. So if we are looking at using an algorithm on darker skin types, for example, but it hasn't been trained on darker skin types, then it's going to give us inconclusive results or just not be generalizable to that new population. I think it's really important also when we're thinking about melanoma, for example, melanomas can often be dark and we have our own innate bias biases towards being able to diagnose darker melanomas. But there are about up to 20% of melanomas can be lightly pigmented or lack pigment altogether. And we already have a bias to often undercall those. So we can fall into the trap of false reassurance. And algorithms, if they're not trained on a lot of those more difficult and subtle lesions, will miss them also. So that kind of compounds that bias that's already innate within us. So I think that's a potential concern. There's also biases regarding different sites that might be imaged more readily. Most of the trunk and limbs can be imaged quite well, but the nails, for example, and ankle surfaces or hair-bearing surfaces can be really quite difficult to image, as well as you know more sensitive areas around the face might not be captured in data sets because of privacy concerns. For example, images that have tattoos within them might have not been included in data sets because of similar privacy concerns. That's an issue also. It's also really important to consider whether the use of, you know, artificial or synthetic images might provide its own bias to us. And even the image capture device that was used was the algorithm trained using an iPhone or a Samsung, for example, might be very different quality to high resolution image capture devices used in clinic. So we need to really be aware of those types of issues that might create a bias in our data set and might make the algorithm not generalizable to the population that we're going to use it for. So just a final question for you both. Will dermatologists be replaced by AI in the future? Well, a simple answer is no, because I think we offer a lot more than just a diagnosis when we're seeing a patient. And I think forming a diagnosis takes a lot more than just a whole lot of data fed into a machine. There is certainly a number of nuances that go into making a management plan. So the interaction with the patient is really critical and there will always be a place for a dermatologist in that. I would agree with that. And I guess I'd add that I would hope that as we have new efficiencies and new workflow opportunities, that it may just mean that the balance of our work changes a bit and there are new skills that we need to learn to keep up with that. Yeah, I think I hope for the future that our time will be better used in seeing the patients that really require our attention and perhaps reassuring and not necessarily seeing patients that could be really well managed either themselves or or in the community setting. Thank you for that discussion. I'm sure our listeners will agree that this has been a very informative session. Aaron and Tori, thank you for being here today. I've learned a lot. Thanks so much, Lakshmi. It's been good fun to talk about AI and dermatology. Thanks. It was a pleasure. That concludes today's episode. 
We would like to thank the education team at the Skin Health Institute and Balloon Tree Productions. We hope you have enjoyed this deep dive into AI. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For listeners who want more information on this subject, a transcript of this episode and links to other resources can be found on our website, spotdiagnosis.org.au. That's spotdiagnosis.org.au. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions. Also, please note that Spot Diagnosis is eligible for RACGP and ACRAM CPD. The Skin Health Institute would like to thank our exclusive institute partner, Melbourne Pathology, for their support of the Spot Diagnosis podcast.